Matthew 3, verse 17 through 4, verse 11. These are God's words. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest ye dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Amen. Thus ends this reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. We rejoice that Jesus is the one in whom we fulfill all righteousness, that is, He does everything righteous, uh, and we, in order uh, to be righteous before God, uh, must be joined to him, united to him through faith. And so we believe in him, that we may belong to him as he has been offered to us in the gospel, that we might belong to him by believing in him, and thus in his obedience we fulfill all righteousness. And so we rejoice greatly when we hear the voice from heaven, uh, in verse 17, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, because it is in the beloved Jesus that we are beloved from before the foundations of the world. And it is in the well-pleasing Jesus that we are made well-pleasing by faith in him and union with him. And we rejoice at the end of the passage when he is still the beloved and well-pleasing son, having come through his trial, and the angels, the messengers from God, the holy ones that instantly respond to do the will of God, come and attend to him. And we know, of course, from the end of Hebrews chapter 1, they do the same for us, even though we cannot uh, see them, but they are ministering spirits sent out to the heirs of salvation, to those who are united uh, to Christ and adopted in the Lord, adopted in the Lord Jesus. Uh, and so we have in this passage, in the middle then, uh, a historical account of how the beloved Son was well-pleasing on our behalf, and we have a perfect example of the manner in which beloved children may act well-pleasing to God. Uh, and therefore, we also have the promise of what we who are beloved children in Christ will be like when God is done with his work, when God completes the work that he has begun in us in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so when we see the Lord Jesus in this way, the first thing that we see is that he is a son of perfect and consistent piety. Uh, that is, in his uh, heart, life before God, and his habits unto God. We know from Luke what he's doing after he's come uh, from the water when the heavens open uh, to him. And first, the Spirit comes, uh, makes a, an appearance, and this uh, pneumatophony uh, uh, descending upon him like a dove, and the Father makes himself known from the opened heaven by the voice that comes from the heaven. Luke tells us that he was praying uh, when this happened. Jesus is a man of prayer, uh, and he's a man of spirit-led prayer. Note in verse 1 where it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. <clears throat> now, we don't know if the Spirit here communicates to him that he's about to be tempted by the devil, but we do know what the Spirit led him to do until the time that he was tempted, or until the time that the the great temptation came at the end. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. And so Jesus here is presented to us as a man of prayer and a man of fasting. The great thing in his life is his life before God, his heart interaction with the Lord, his enjoying the Lord as his portion. All of those things that we long that we would be able to do more fully and more devotedly, the Lord Jesus uh, was perfectly. And we can even see uh, in the way that he responds to the devil's temptations that he wasn't just praying and fasting, but that he was also meditating upon Scripture, and meditating upon Scripture that was appropriate to his circumstances. Here he is in the wilderness between the Jordan and Jerusalem, uh, just across the river to the west side uh, from where Moses, on the east side of the river, uh, had given the book of Deuteronomy to Israel in the wilderness. Israel, who when they were sometimes hungry, uh, sinned greatly against God. And so what's the Lord Jesus doing in the same place and under similar circumstances? He's meditating upon scripture that specifically applies to his circumstances, something that we all, again, know from the Lord that we ought to do and wish by the Spirit's work in our heart that we would do, uh, that rather than, uh, than go by our impulses or whatever other <coughs> whatever other manner our inner thought life uh, would just kind of go by itself, but that we would recognize the situation we're in and a portion of scripture that is appropriate to it and meditate on the Bible, meditate on God's fatherly word to us, like children, like beloved and well-pleasing children, whose daddy, whose father, has told us about a time like this. And so we come into the season uh, that the, that a particular part of our Father's word to us addresses, and we remember what Father has said. Well, it's that to the infinite power uh, is what we have in the Scripture. And so 
Jesus is the beloved and well-pleasing Son with this life of piety, this praying, fasting, self-denying, God-treasuring, scripture-considering and meditating upon piety. Uh, and this is part of how uh, the Spirit sustains our Lord Jesus in his human nature to be the last Adam, uh, so that when the tempter does come to him, and uh, and here he's uh, at great disadvantage compared to the first Adam. The first Adam was in a garden, the last Adam's in a wilderness. The first Adam has is surrounded by beasts that serve him. The last Adam is... Uh, is in the realm of wild beasts. The first Adam is richly provided with food. The last Adam is hungry. Uh, and he's hungry because uh, he has been uh, living in self-denial uh, at the leading of his spirit. It's not that there wasn't food in the wilderness. John, uh, his cousin, had a steady diet of locusts and honey in the wilderness, so there was food there. Uh, but he's he's hungry. Uh, and the devil says, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Uh, and it's the same sort of idea as, as God really said you may not eat of any of the trees of the garden. That is not very generous. There's a temptation here uh, to deny the generosity and goodness of the provision of God, to which... Uh, Adam should have stepped in when the tempter said that uh, to his wife. And he should have said, no, we have all of the trees in the garden, and what's more, we have God himself, and we have God's word. And God's word is what says not to eat of the one tree. How precious it is to be made in his image, and to know him, and to have him speak to us. Uh, the, the The very thing that uh, that you are trying to describe as begrudging and stingy is the great generosity we have, the Word of God. This is how Adam, of course, should have uh, in, intervened and helped his, his wife to think, led his wife in thinking, but this is how our last Adam is thinking, isn't it? He hasn't, ha he hasn't been foodless. It's just that his food has been the Word of God for 40 days. Uh, and so uh, the the flesh was hungry, but the spirit, the soul, was full. The last Adam succeeds where the first Adam failed. And praise God, because we know, we know, uh, to quote uh, a, uh, a commercial recently, you're not you when you're hungry. Well, actually, the problem is, we are precisely ourselves when we are hungry. We're not able to overcome what we were outside of Christ when we're hungry. Uh, but uh, praise God, the one who is counted for us was himself when he was hungry. And that is, he was full of the fellowship of God and the word of God. And we want to be like that. And not only has that been counted for us by Jesus doing this in our place, but he is giving us an example of how to do this, live that life of self-denial and of prayer and of meditation upon God's word, so that in the moment when it comes, we are full of the fellowship of God and the kindness of God to us.
and we refuse to let any of that remaining fleshliness grumble against God as if he's been stingy with us. How dreadful that would be. And not only do we have the example of how the Lord Jesus did it, answering from Scripture uh, as he did, uh, but we have the promise, the certainty, that the Spirit by whom he in his divine nature sustained himself in his human nature to do this, the same Spirit uh, by whom we he has baptized us to make us, to give us life from him, and to give us faith to be united to him and to apply him to us so that we would be made more and more like him until at last we are conformed to the image of the Son. Well, he's not just uh, the Son who is as the last Adam what the first Adam ought to have been. Uh, he, is, uh, he is also the Son who succeeds in the wilderness in the place of Israel. We uh, we mentioned a little bit ago, ago uh, one of the reasons why it was so appropriate for him to have been meditating upon the book of Deuteronomy. Well, the great sin of Israel in the wilderness was that they put the Lord their God to the test. Uh, the Lord says, they tested me, uh, uh, or they tested him in Psalm 78, and they tested me in Psalm 95 and uh, in these warning psalms of what not to be like that we would not perish. But every one of us have had some promise of God's word like Israel had the promise that they would be carried into the land uh, and in their hearts they went astray and in their hearts they went back to Egypt. They went everywhere but the land because they didn't trust God. They tested God. And so Satan, of course, as he uh, always does when he is opposing God, accomplishes his own defeat. He quotes from Psalm 91 these wonderful, true words about God preserving the Lord Jesus. Jesus isn't like Israel in the wilderness, demanding to see the proof. For Jesus, the word of God is the proof. The things that that Satan quotes from Psalm 91 aren't sure if Jesus tests to see if they're sure. They're sure because God said that they were true. And so uh, rather than Jesus being like Israel in the wilderness who tested God, uh, here Jesus is uh, tempted, offered to test God and refuses. He knows the certainty of the word. And he trusts and he yields unto the Lord and his providence. And praise God that this is counted for us. Because don't we often doubt God's promises? Don't we often live as if those promises that we know very well, many of them, are uh, in doubt or in question? As if all these things aren't working together for our good. As if uh, in all these things we aren't uh, super conquering, uh, as if the worst things that happen to us aren't for uh, for our good and for his sake, for his glory, as if we might use all the means that he has provided in dependence upon him and still we be lost, or we might use those means with our children and 
uh, in dependence upon him and uh, and they and he still not save them and so we often live doubting god with a uh, sort of show me attitude i'll believe god when i see some of this stuff come true but the lord jesus refused to live that way uh, he refused to put the lord to the test he trusted god uh, and even his trust is counted in our behalf as uh, hebrews 2 wonderfully reminds us immediately before he says behold i and the children whom you have given me he says i will put my trust in him it is jesus who is the i in that sentence and when we believe in jesus it is not that our faith is good enough to be counted for righteousness but that our faith joins us to Jesus, whose faith is good enough, and whose obedience is good enough, and whose love is good enough, that he becomes our righteousness. So Jesus is the, la the son who is the last Adam that the first Adam should have been. Jesus is the son who is the true Israel, that ethnic Israel ought to have been, and that the Israel of promise, elect Israel, always was in him by faith in him he is the true israel in the last place we see that jesus is the perfect king of the everlasting kingdom uh, whose subjects are subjects of righteousness and of the knowledge of god verse 8 again the devil took him up to on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Now we know where this mountain is. And it's not on a map. It's in the book of Daniel. You remember. The stone that was uh, cut out without hands. And it grew into an exceedingly great mountain. And it replaces, takes over, overcomes all of the kingdoms of the world. <laughs> and so in this vision, as it were, that uh, the devil uh, presents to Christ, uh, where there is this exceedingly high mountain and all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, Jesus is presented, that which is his right, that which is his due, that which is prophesied about him, that which he came to obtain in his mission. But that's the key, isn't it? That Jesus is only going to obtain this crown through a cross. Israel was also supposed to be a mountain, a city on a hill, a household uh, into which uh, all of the nations would be gathered unto God. That special people uh, from whom the families of the earth that the Lord into which the Lord had divided humanity at Babel would be gathered back again through the seed of Abraham, the offspring of Abraham, in whom all of the families of the earth would be blessed. And there would be, again be a one-kingdom world, now not in rebellion against God, but in enjoyment of God and obedience to God and worship unto God. But Israel, when their kingdom seemed to be um, under threat, when it was in danger, what did they do? And even at times when it wasn't in danger, they worshipped other gods. 
They, they entered into alliances with other people that the Lord had warned them that if they do, that those people will turn their hearts away after their gods. And Israel had turned their hearts away after many gods to worship them for hundreds of years as they tried to obtain for themselves something that had been promised, but had been promised by means of and through the path of worshiping the Lord their God and him only. Well, Jesus here is offered for just one moment of sin, for just one moment of sin to come into the fullness of his kingdom. But the Lord and his word and his worship and his obedience, these are the essential elements of Christ's kingdom. And he refuses, for the greatest possible payoff, he refuses to commit even a moment of sin. And so we see that uh, the Lord is the true king of the everlasting kingdom with the perfect righteousness that belongs to that kingdom. And it is particularly this last temptation where he refuses even a moment of even plausibly, possibly, hypothetically superficial worship even. But he refuses even a moment of it, uh, even if it were to have the greatest possible payoff. And so it is in this last temptation that we see especially how complete and continual and perfect the obedience of Jesus Christ is. The obedience then that is counted for us who believe in him, who is our righteousness. And so indeed he is not only the beloved son, but the loving son of a beloved father. And he is the well-pleasing son because he has perfectly obeyed his father. And what is offered to us, presented in his baptism and his willingness to identify with sinners and presented to us also now in Christian baptism where the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, the single name of God, is put uh, upon the members of Christ's church, assuring them of the success of the Lord Jesus and the authority of the Lord Jesus and the help of the Lord Jesus that we would be united to him and in him be those well-beloved children who have been loved from before the world began and those well-pleasing children who are counted perfectly righteous in him and then conformed to his perfect righteousness. And so may the Lord help us to trust in him and may the Lord help us to uh, observe his example since this is what the Lord is making us to be like and we too then ought to resist temptation uh, as our Lord Jesus did and as he is working in us that we may also do. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for your word and for the help of your spirit and just now especially for giving us your son. We praise you for the gospel of your son. We praise you for your goodness and your power and your salvation and his obedience and his perfect humanity as the last Adam and the true Israel and the true and everlasting King. 
And we pray, O Lord, that you would make us to be members of his new humanity and his perfect church and subjects who reflect the character and of king and kingdom. So help us by your spirit, O Lord, because even as we have read and heard, we have recognized many things that do not have yet their proper reflection in our hearts and our lives. And we long, we long that your work, which you have begun, would be completed. And so we ask for it, even also in his name, the name of Jesus. Amen.